Father in heaven, we thank you for a time to come and to worship you, to give thanks for all that you've done, to give thanks and to remember the great sacrifice that has been made on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins that has been granted to who all, to whom all will believe and transfer their trust from what we could do or to the way that we think things should be or to the God of, the, of our own minds to recognize that you are so much greater than anything that we can fathom or anything that we can constrict or control. And we thank you, Lord, that though you are great and sovereign, you have made a way for forgiveness to occur. And Lord, as we celebrate this time, as we remember this week that cost you so much, Lord, we do so in a spirit of recognition and worship that you are God and we are not. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from you, that, Lord, we might connect with you, and that we might use that connection to greater glorify you and to bring others into your community of faith and grace. So we welcome you, Lord, to transform our lives and to speak to us at this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You have your Bibles. We're in the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 6 and just look at a couple of verses there. And then our main text will be in chapter 12, the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And as we look at this text, uh, I think it's important to remember that um, this is kind of the crucible. This is the central theme of Judaism that we're looking at. This would be the text that an Orthodox Jew would go back and say, this kind of defines who we are. And this was a defining moment. It was the defining salvation of our ancestors, chapter 12. But it also brings about for us as believers in Christ today, as we look at this unstoppable salvation, this lamb, this Passover time, it also brings up to us the remembrance and the understanding that this is also a foreshadowing of what is to come. That this isn't the final substitutionary atonement. This isn't the final lamb. But this is the beginning. It's the beginning of salvation. It's the beginning of what we will later, of what mankind will later know. And as we look back, we can clearly see the salvation of the ultimate lamb. Of Jesus Christ. And as we read through this text in just a moment, you'll see that. But foreshadowing simply means this, that something occurred that was very meaningful at that time and was very real and that the people understood at that time in their context. But a far greater meaning would be understood in the days ahead. A far greater event would occur in the future, even though it had great meaning at the time. So, again... As we look at this text, I want you to understand a few things as we read through this passage. Because For me, this is very, very meaningful, very inspiring and very encouraging and very definitive for our faith. The story, of course, we've talked about it the last few weeks. The children of Israel have been in bondage, have been in slavery for 400 years under Egyptian rule. 
And the foreshadowing is the sin that all of mankind is under. And then we see the promise that God comes and gives in chapter 6. If you have your Bible, turn with me there for just a moment to Exodus chapter 6. And you see the promise that God makes here in chapter 6, verse 6. And God says to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you. Remember that word redeemed right there. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The promise that is given. And then the sacrificial redemption that occurs. The sexual, sacrificial Redemption And that word redeemed, we, we talk a lot about it. Uh, we just sung, had a song uh, that we sang about it. But what does that mean? Where, where did that whole principle of redemption occur? Well, it's actually seen throughout the Old Testament. But I want to give you two of many verses that we see this principle of redemption. And uh, let's look at that real briefly. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to just write these verses down. Exodus 13, 15, which would be the next chapter, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people, animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Numbers 18, 15 through 16. Uh, mark this with your big pencil. Uh, write this down. The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. <clears throat> so let me just uh, kind of give you commentary for this. In the ancient culture... It was a very prevalent theme, even long before the Exodus, that many cultures would often sacrifice their firstborn as a sacrifice to the gods. Now, that was pagan worship, and it wasn't something that God ever commanded. As a matter of fact, God punished the nation of Israel for the times that they ever got close to participating any time they incorporated any of those types of thoughts or religious activities. So, uh, it was never anything God condoned, but it was a very common practice in ancient cultures during this time. And God says, here, here, I want you to understand that your firstborn is mine, that I am redeeming. Matter of fact, Abraham even understood that principle. Remember in Genesis chapter 22, when he goes to give Isaac his son, but also we know that uh, Isaac said, Father, the wood... The knife, but where is the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide. And of course, God provides a sacrificial ram at that time. But there was a redemption price that God issued or initiated here. And it was this, that because the firstborn does belong to me, the firstborn son is mine. Here's what you are to do. You are to pay a five shekel tax or five shekel redemption price. For that son, every year to the temple, you were to give five pieces of silver. Now, you'll remember that later on, what happens with Judas, there's 30 pieces of silver that are given for Christ. But there was a five 
shekel, silver shekel, uh, redemption price. We see it right there in uh, Numbers that was to be paid because it was for you to remember that this is a gift. Your firstborn son is a gift that has been given to you. The firstborn had much meaning, of course, uh, in this culture. It was the one who would carry on the name, the primary inheritor of the estate and of the vocation. It was the name. It was the name by which they would remember that family of that tribe would continue. And so God said, it's mine, but I, I want you, I want to give you your son back, but I want you to recognize, I want you to always remember, and I want you to exercise this principle of redemption. And now we also see the lamb who will redeem them from their sins. So we see this principle here in Scripture. And then we see the salvation of the Lamb. Now, let's turn to Exodus chapter 12, and let's kind of walk through this passage. And notice all the foreshadowing of Scripture that we see right here of the future event that will come when Christ Jesus, the final sacrificial Lamb, will be given Speaking of the Passover, the principal, um, the principal celebration of the Jewish heritage. And the Lord said to so Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Now, this is going to be a time of celebration. This is a new year that I'm starting. This is a new act that I'm starting. Tell the whole community. Let everyone know. The goodness of the Lord, let everyone know so that they might participate. That on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small, then they must share, share the lamb for the nearest neighbor. That's an interesting concept as we come up to Egypt. I'm excuse me, to Easter. We're not going to Egypt. Uh, Coming to Easter. And share with his nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with each one will eat. And the animal you choose must be a male, a year old male. And what was Jesus? He was the firstborn male without defect. The lamb is to be without defect. Jesus was without sin, without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. And when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. When did Jesus die? Jesus died at twilight. Uh, Most Hebrew scholars say twilight was sometime between the hours of 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., the twilight hours. Do you see the foreshadowing? Do you see the connection here as we walk through this passage? Then they are to take some of the blood... And put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. Notice in verse 22, skip over there real quick, we'll come right back. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Think about that. They would take the blood and they would apply it. You see? The foreshadowing of the cross, even at this time, the blood is applied. And the Bible tells us that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. 
Do not eat the meat raw or cooked or in water, but roasted over fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any till morning. Typically, when people were placed upon the cross, they might stay there two, three, uh, even four days. But what happened with Jesus? He was placed on the cross, but he was not left till the next morning. If some is left, your cloak tuck, tuck in, uh, excuse me, tuck into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. So that's one of the things that that he's doing. This is the tenth plague. It is the judgment upon the gods of Egypt. We talked about that last week. Each plague was in response to an Egyptian god. But he says here uh, that judgment is going to come upon everybody who doesn't have the blood applied. It continues. The Bible says here that on that night I will pass through Egypt and strike down the firstborn men and animals and will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for your homes and for your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what's occurring here? God for one night releases what is called, and we translate from the Hebrew as the destroyer. Much like the judgment that will come at the end, but for one night. And the only those are spared whom the blood has been applied, whether they be Jew or Hebrew at that time they would have been called, or Egyptian or Hittite or whatever their nationality was. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is an ordinance that you shall continue to celebrate. For all time. And of course, uh, Passover is what the Jews call. We now have a revised Passover that we call communion or the Lord's Supper that we'll observe here at the end of our service today. Now, let's, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, if you would. And let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 26. And many of you have probably participated in a Seder meal, uh, as I have before. And it's a picture of the is a picture of the Passover. And there's always a presider that leads uh, the Passover. And uh, they, there's someone who stands at the front, or excuse me, stands or sits uh, at the front of the table and presides over the meal and gives the instructions. And Jesus is acting as the presider here at this time with his disciples. And we see here the Last Supper. And it's starting in verse 26. The Bible says, And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Now, this must have seemed rather odd because that's not what you would say at the Passover. That's not what the presider was supposed to say. Now, it was a pretty lengthy liturgy, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. They would say something of this nature. They would take the matzah, which is actually what we have here today. They would take the matzah and they would hold up and they would say, 
This is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate of when they were leaving Egypt. This represents the affliction that our forefathers experienced in Egypt. And they would go through this little litany of how this represented the affliction of their forefathers and how it was representative of the suffering that they had endured. But Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus say? Jesus does this. He says, take, this is my body. Jesus is transforming. He's revising the Passover by saying, my body will take upon the affliction. My body will endure the, the affliction. It is me who is assuming the affliction and the pain of sin and death. Then Jesus says this. Then he took the cup. That was the second component. There were three primary components. There were multiple little components. But the three primary components were, first of all, the bread. Then the cup, the wine, which actually they would drink from a couple of times. As many as three to four times. And then there was the lamb. So Jesus now takes the cup. He gives thanks and offers it to them and says, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That would have been unheard of as well, because at the Jewish Passover, they would have taken the cups. As I said, they would have multiple times drank from the cup, uh, but they would have spoken of how it represented the blood of. Of the lamb that was slain. They would have talked about, they would talk about how it was uh, representative of the covenant. And they would go through the process. Now, like I said, many would say probably four, four cups. And they would go through this process. And they would speak of the past. But Jesus says, what? This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now and until the day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So we see the bread. We see the cup. We see the revised institution of Passover that we now call the Lord's Supper. But what's missing at this Passover? What's missing here? Somebody just said, what's missing? What component is missing? The lamb. Where's the lamb? What kind of Passover is this? This is like the central element of this whole Passover. And we've got the wine and we've got the bread. But where's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. And he will die tomorrow. So that's why this is the central ordinance for us once we have accepted Christ and been baptized. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper. That's why we observe communion. There's the picture the Lamb has come to be the sacrifice once and for all. Just as John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. When he first saw Jesus under the revelation of the Spirit. So the firstborn, in fact, would be redeemed and he would be sacrificed once and for all. No need would there ever be for the sacrifice of a lamb.
on this Passover day, on this Passover period, the same time that Jesus is being sacrificed, there were probably multitudes of lambs being sacrificed while Jesus is being sacrificed, because that's when the lamb would be slaughtered. And you know what? Matter of fact, we used to raise uh, a few sheep when I was growing up, and sometimes we would we would butcher the sheep. Do you know what you do with a sheep? Once you get it up, you 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 would of course take all the wool, remove all the wool, you would shear it, and get it down to where there was uh, almost no wool upon it. You clean it, and we would have to kill it, and then we would spread it out. And that's what uh, we know from historians and from commentators today that the lamb would be spread out and would be killed. You see that foreshadowing of what would come, of how Christ would come and be that sacrificial lamb? So what is the meaning of the Passover today? And what did it mean? The Bible tells us, first of all, that as we read earlier in chapter 12, this, it was a defeat of the Egyptian gods. It was the final blow. It was the final response to the Egyptian gods. Number two, it was to be used as an instrument of incorporation. We know from chapter 12 in Exodus, as we read last week, that also many went, the Bible tells us in verse 38, many others left after this when they were finally released, when the Egyptians finally released them, many of them left and went with the Jews and went with the Hebrews because of the great acts of Yahweh God. And they were invited in. God uses this as an instrument of inclusion, of an instrument of incorporation. And many certainly believe through these plagues and through this sacrifice, just as Christ today says, all who will apply the blood regardless of nationality, regardless of background. And then we see the foreshadowing, the ultimate sacrificial lamb. The ultimate sacrificial lamb. And these aren't coincidences, but let's review some of the foreshadowings that we see. We've talked about most of them. Number one, the Passover lamb was to be a male without defect. Jesus was a male Without defect. The Passover lamb was to be a lamb that was chosen specifically. Jesus, the Messiah, was chosen. The Passover lamb did not, was not to have any broken bones. No bones were to be broken during the slaughter. Jesus' bones were not broken. The Passover lamb's blood saved the people's lives. Jesus' blood saves people's lives today is the only way into salvation. The Passover lamb was not left until morning. Jesus' body was not left on the cross until morning. The Passover lamb was killed during Passover and Jesus was killed during Passover. And lastly, it's a memorial of the deliverance. For the Jew, it's a memorial. Passover is the memorial of the deliverance from the Egyptians. But for the Christian. It's a memorial. It's an observance. It's a time where we remember the theme of our faith. That Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, came and gave Himself as a sacrifice. Because the Bible said there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So Jesus shed His blood upon the cross 
for us, for all who would believe and transfer their trust from what they could do, from what they believe or what they think is right, to what Jesus has done upon the cross and receive that grace and forgiveness as the blood is applied to our lives. Have you received that grace? Have you received that great salvation? I want to welcome you to do that today. And we'll have an opportunity to do that. We'll have some folks in the back here in just a moment outside that exit door. Or you can come and visit with me at any point. But I want to certainly, I want you to recognize this is not a coincidence. This is the truth. This is the foreshadowing of the great exchange, the greatest event in history. What will you do with the sacrifice that's been given to you and offered for you? And will you share it if you've already experienced it? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the great salvation that has been given. And we celebrate you and we worship you at this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.